From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is a podcast of KZYX's local coronavirus update for Wednesday, December 16th, 2020, with Ukiah ER doctor, Dr. Drew Colfax, and Alicia Bales. Since the pandemic began, Dr. Colfax has done regular live updates for KZYX listeners on the latest news and numbers and answered questions from callers. Bad news on my TV screen, bad news on the magazines, bad news on the newspaper, bad news on the elevator, bad news on the street, bad news on my car, bad news on my feet. And good afternoon, everyone. This is Alicia Bales in the studio and on the phone with us today for the local coronavirus update is Dr. Drew Colfax. Hey, Drew. Hello, Alicia. How are you doing? Uh, Pretty good. How are you? How's the ER today in Ukiah? It is, uh, shall we say, chaotic. I I, I think I probably caused a a slight palpitation because I called you, what, 10 seconds before we went over there? Oh, yeah. It was about 10 seconds, but it's all good. (laughs) (laughs) You're a busy, busy person. Um, We also have another, another doctor on the line. Do you want to introduce our guest today? Um, Yes, it's a recurrent guest, uh, Dr. Mark Lovato. Mark, are you there? I'm here. Thanks, Drew. Thanks for joining us. Um, so, I, why don't we, why don't I run the numbers um, as we are want to do at the beginning, at the top of the show, and then, Mark, why don't you talk about what's happening in this county with the vaccine? Does that sound okay? Okay. That's great. So, yeah, so in the last two days, unfortunately, we've added another 60 patients in the county, bringing our case count up to 2,051. Uh, we're averaging about slightly over 28 new patients per day. Um, positivity is climbing upward. It is now 4.9%. We have nearly 1,800 tests pending, and we've run over 38,000 in the county since the beginning of all of this. Uh, we have 283 active cases in the county, um, over 450 in quarantine. Um, Guala and Covalo continue to be sort of um, a bit of hot spots. So the numbers aren't surging wildly there. Guala is still holding at 15 cases, and Covalo has 24 now. Uh, nationally, uh, we're still steadily adding uh, slightly over 200,000 a day. California continues to be adding uh, about you know, between 25 and 30,000 a day. Um, the national average is still upward uh, positive 28% over two weeks. But the rate of, at least the rate of the national climb is starting to flatten. You know, we, we've been climbing more or less steadily since the end of October. Um, and the really steep curve that we've been seeing for the last uh, three to four weeks nationally is starting to plateau at around 200,000 a day. So that's good. Um, the bad thing um, still remains these lagging indicators, deaths and hospitalizations, and those numbers are still going up pretty sharply. So, Mark, uh, where do things stand? I understand there might be a vaccine in our very near future. Where where do we stand with that? Yeah, well, um, actually, we had a little bit of a false alarm today. The um, the, the vaccine comes in the the, the fabled pizza box. It's uh, it's it's stored in dry ice, packaged by Pfizer, and it's I guess it's stored in forty pounds of dry ice. Um, Fortunately, uh, we do have a, a really hyper-cold um, freezer here in the county at a 
Adventist Ukiah Hospital. It has to be kept at below minus 70. And the good news also is that um, so the hospital can store a lot more vaccine than we're getting in this initial um, allocation, but soon the county, I believe, has ordered two of these with, with much larger capacity that should arrive fairly soon. So we're going to be fine in terms of being able to handle the, uh, the allocation that we receive. Um, Sonoma County is thinking they'll likely get their, their allocation tomorrow. And it sounds like uh, Mendocino County will get theirs tonight or tomorrow as well. That's the hope. And we're already lining up people. Uh, I think the county has done a good job um, uh, on short notice to try to um, uh, follow the CDC and the California Department of Health, of Public Health recommendations on who should get the vaccine first. Um, so that basically is going to be um, acute care facilities, um, the workers' acute care facilities, including clinics and um, frontline EMS workers, um, and long-term or congregate facilities, you know, specifically SNFs, their residents and the staff. So those are kind of in the highest tier, and it's there's a little bit of wiggle room here and there, but all of those entities in the county have submitted um, their numbers to, to the public health department. And there was a really wonderful tabletop that the county organized just a couple of days ago to go through the logistics of how to uh, get these kind of fragile M, um, uh, mRNA virus vaccines out because they're, the, the Pfizer one has to be exceedingly cold once you take it, once you thought it has to be used within five days while it's being refrigerated. So, you know, there, it's, a, it's kind of a logistical problem, but I think the county is and the clinics have been um, cooperating so the hospitals, the three hospitals will have an allocation. Most of our clinics um, will get an allocation for their workers. Um, and the skilled nursing facilities are being handled in a little bit different way, but they're getting an allocation through the state as well. Um, and they will obviously get help from the local pharmacies. Um, so, yeah, hopefully um, we will be getting starting the vaccinations within one to two days. And logistically, I mean, this is a big county, and if our only ultra-cold freezers here at the Adventist Hospital in Ukiah, how are people, you know, healthcare providers, at least for the first round, going to get the get the vaccine? Are they going to have to come to Ukiah, or is this going to be thawed well, and shipped for immediate? I, I think what's going to happen is there'll be a courier system, and that's being uh, that has, public health is working that out in conjunction with all the different facilities, and you know that they. The recommendation, although it's not a hard rule, is that you don't want to, you know, if you have a clinic with, you know, 20 workers that are or 20 practitioners that are there, you don't want to give all 20 necessarily on the same day because some people will have reactions and you don't want to, you know, decrease your workforce by 20% with vaccine reactions. We can talk about that later. But what sure. the hospital can do is, you know, if let's say the your clinic where you're I think you're on the board of the Anderson Valley Clinic, right? Yes. Um, you, I mean, if they have 20 workers that are going to get vaccinated, maybe they'll do it. Um, you know, if they send it out, it can be refrigerated for five days, and they could do it, you know, they could do, you know, three one day, no, you know, five one day, five the next day, and then wait a week and get another allocation 
of vaccine to do the remaining, you know, if they want to sequence it out that way. So the hospital can get it into its freezer, it can be sent by courier the 30 minutes to Anderson Valley, or it's, we know it's two hours to RCMS, um, right. the clinic out in Guala. Then, you know, they, they can sequence it how the clinic decides to do it because, but once it leaves the facility, it's going to have to be refrigerated and be used within five days. It's pretty fragile. When the Moderna one comes out, which will be the second mRNA vaccine, and apparently we're going to be getting allocations of that in the very near future, um, it, it apparently can be refrigerated after it's thawed in a normal freezer, meaning, you know, four degrees Fahrenheit or below minus, I think it's 20 uh, Celsius. That's, that's a regular freezer. Um, it, it can last for longer. I think it's up to 30 days. So that's a little yeah, it, it, less of a difficult challenge. Yeah, and I was just talking to our pharmacist in terms of handling these uh, vaccines, and apparently the stability depends on how it's thawed. So for the for the uh, for the Pfizer vaccine, apparently if it's thawed in a refrigerator, you have five days. But if it's brought up to temperature quickly, then it almost has to be used, um, you know, within a few hours, um, which you know, obviously it's, is going to exactly. And, on and the county does have vaccine refrigerated vaccine containers. To bring them, so it doesn't have to be like a dry run. They do; they will transport them to the um, to the clinics in refrigerated. Right, well, so they will never leave refrigeration. And it's it's <laughs> thrilling to hear that the healthcare workers and the skilled nursing facilities are going to be the, on the first round of these vaccines, and that the infrastructure is being worked out. Um, but do you, either one of you, have any any idea how the sort of the larger campaign of vaccinating everybody else is going to go? Have they given you any kind of idea of how the logistics for that are going to work? Because I was in the testing site in Ukiah at OptumServe on Sunday, and it seems like they do have infrastructure for testing already. Are they going to use that infrastructure at all? Or are they going to build out a whole new way of reaching people? Um, that's an excellent question. I do. I know that the um, uh, the uh, public health department has a number of people just focusing exactly on what you're talking about, and they're working fiercely on as we get larger allocations. Um, and it goes out to the public. Then they're working on exactly there. There's going to be larger venues where people can get through. Now, with the initial Pfizer vaccine, one of the complications, and it's likely the same for Moderna, is you have to be watched for 15 minutes after you receive that. It's a little bit different than most vaccines. They're just being hyper-careful um, just to make sure there's no significant reaction. So, um, yeah, and just to, just to touch on that a little bit, Mark, um, you know, there's so far this this vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine, was tested in I think around 42,000 people, which means that 21,000 approximately received the actual vaccine, and there was no difference between the 21,000 people and the 21,000 placebo recipients in terms of adverse events. Um, as of a few hours ago, 140,000 people in Great Britain have already received this vaccine. And so far of that, what is it, 160, 165,000 people um, in Great Britain in this country, uh, the only reactions, the only significant reactions that we've seen are three cases of a severe allergic reaction, which required uh, epinephrine. And so that's, I think, why they're monitoring people, because there is a very low um, but real risk of an acute allergic anaphylactic reaction to this vaccine. Uh, you know, we're talking, exactly. you know, 
you know, one in 50,000, but that's not zero. And, you know, anaphylactic reactions can be quite dangerous, but they're also quite readily managed um, if you have the right medication right on hand. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's the rationale for that degree of caution. Yeah, and, and it, it's appropriate. I, and I think we'll see what happens as we move into the millions. But, you know, the good news is that we're, you know, I think Moderna and the combination of with Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine, they're expecting to be able to um, immunize maybe up to, um, you know, 10 to 20 million people in the, by the end of the of the of the year, and and they're going to be rolling out more and more. There's several other vaccines down the pike, um, but the cool thing about these two is that they're they're really kind of a novel, um, pretty exciting new model of a vaccine using the, the mRNA technology. And um, a lot of people that I kind of respect are saying this is really remarkable, the kind of immune response that these vaccines are eliciting. And they're likely much more powerful than the native response. And there's some complex reasons for that. But yeah. it's, it's pretty exciting. It's, yeah, it's it's really quite remarkable. I mean, it's novel that it's being used in a vaccine, but the 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 science behind it had been recognized by you know the folks at BioNTech and at Moderna you know long before the pandemic started. It's not like these companies just popped up out of nowhere uh, when the pandemic started. And this was what they were studying, trying to create mRNA vaccines. Um, and then once once this pandemic began back in January, they immediately identified this as the ideal. Um, type of, you know, opportunity to use this technology that they had been studying for really for the last decade or longer. Um, and it's just, right. frankly, astonishing that these incredibly brilliant people were able to get this vaccine um, up and tested and then, you know, handing it over to these massive companies to get it, you know, tested in the in the phase tri- clinical trials and then, you know, into production in such a short amount of time. Um, it's, it's, it's the beginning of the end of this. Um, I, you know, I, and I hate to be optimistic honestly, but uh, it really is quite incredible. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Drew, Drew. I know, I know, I know, yeah. <laughs> yes, we know you hate to be optimistic. It's like your shtick. Uh, just, just, to, just to touch base, a little bit of breaking news about the Moderna vaccine. They dumped a bunch of data today, um, which, you know, corroborated what we had heard, learned, you know, a week or two ago, showing essentially the same level of efficacy as the Pfizer vaccine, and so that's, that's quite encouraging uh, indeed, and, you know, that vaccine seems a little bit behind in terms of rolling it out, but I think we might even get, you know, as you said, maybe by the end of the year, but certainly early January, the Moderna vaccine should go into distribution. And Dr. Luato, did you actually say uh, at the beginning of the show that you expect uh, the the vaccine to arrive in Mendocino tonight or tomorrow? And does that mean that you and Drew could be vaccinated by tomorrow? That's possible. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very excited about that possibility. Wow. Um, yeah, they are. They are actually their uh, occupational health over here is uh, scheduling appointments, and I am scheduled to get jabbed, as they say over the pond, at uh, quarter to twelve tomorrow. You know, pending yeah. arrival of the vaccine. We'll see. You know, Drew, that I'm going at the same time, and but we don't have to hold hands. It's okay. It won't but hurt. Prefer- <laughs> it doesn't hurt. You guys. I would prefer if we did, frankly. Um, Someday. The, um, one of the, you know, so I think the mRNA that Pfizer and the Moderna are the mRNA. There is um, the AstraZeneca one, which is waiting for approval. Which it's had a few more problems. Is actually using 
uh, a chimpanzee adenovirus. So it's interesting that it's it, we don't we haven't seen the data yet. They haven't released it, but the preliminary release is it's between 60 and 90 percent, depending on lots of different factors, and that that goes down to a little bit maybe older technology. Um, it's still uh, strikingly positive when you get a vaccine that's. 60% effective, that's generally considered pretty good. So when you're talking about 94% with the Pfizer and the Moderna one, that is that is almost unbelievable. Hopefully it's yeah. true. Yeah, it really, it's really quite astonishing. And, you know, it's, it also appears, particularly with the Pfizer when compared to the Moderna, that you actually have a fair degree of immunity even after just the initial dose. Um, about, a, about a week later, you have a fair, fair degree of immunity. The Moderna appears to rely a bit more heavily on the, on the four-week delayed booster shot, uh, but less so the Pfizer. And I had a question about that immunity. Um, since since you'll be vaccinated, right, the two of you will be vaccinated, but when you come to the studio, does that mean that I'm protected, you know, when, when I'm in a room with you, or do you, could you actually still be shedding virus? Is it only protective for the person who gets vaccine, vaccinated? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and the answer to that is we don't know definitively yet, um, which is to say anybody who's going to get this uh, vaccine is still going to have to, you know, follow the five COVID rules, wear mask wearing, et cetera, uh, either until we get greater data um, or we, you know, vaccinate our way to herd immunity and this thing finally goes away. Um, but all things being equal, it is certainly probable um, if not highly probable, that the likelihood that somebody's going to be shedding virus um, after fully immunization, after both you know the, the initial and the booster shot, um, is quite low. We just don't know that definitively yet. Um, and so the recommendation going forward until we have better data on that is to continue to wear a mask and everything else. So I, for you, Alicia, I think you can at least breathe a partial sigh of relief that I'm not bringing COVID into the studio every time I come in for the show. All right, but we'll yeah, keep I, those I, masks on. No, I think it's true that we still need the mask and socially distance until we get more information. I think when they were initially studying at least the Pfizer uh, cohorts, they um, they didn't test them if they were asymptomatic. They didn't swab them like every week. They, they, they swab people if they became symptomatic after getting the vaccine. So like Drew said, we don't know for sure. You may have a very sub, there's a possibility, but I think it's unlikely that you could have a subclinical uh, infection um, with the vaccine. You're not going to get sick, but you could be still uh, shedding some. So I think we have to be really careful until we're, we're really sure. All right. It'll be so interesting to watch the graphs as we get to sort of a critical mass of people who have been vaccinated that have a, have an impact on the spread. Um, so we, we have a long road to go, but it's an exciting that, that, that's, day. That's a ways off still. And, you know, frankly, my, my bigger concern at this point is, you know, the growing um, body of vaccine disinformation and misinformation that we're going to start to see develop over the course of the next several months. I just, you know, that that's going to happen. That's inevitable. There are going to be a lot of vaccine skeptics. A lot of people who don't want this. People want to wait. Um, but boy, working here and working here today, get me the vaccine as soon as possible. Because I'm really, you know, it's just not good seeing people with COVID over and over and over and over again. It's not a fun illness. Is that what's happening today yeah. in the in the emergency room in Ukiah? 
Uh, oh, we're just busy. It seems like whenever I try to do a show while I'm at work on a day shift here, it's, 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 it's a black cloud, as we say, yes. But uh, Wait, well, I pulled away. I did see a post from um, Supervisor Ted Williams today about the number of ICU beds in the county. I wanted to ask you both about that um, and how that kind of corresponds with, with what you guys know. There, he says that in uh, in the county there are... The licensed ICU beds are four in Willits, four in Fort Bragg, and 12 in Ukiah, but two of those are the neonatal ICU unit. And that available, um, uh, in Willits, there are zero available. In Fort Bragg, there are three available. And in Ukiah, there are currently three available. Uh, And then finally, the surge bed numbers, he says, in Willits, there are 24 surge beds in Fort Bragg, 11, and in Ukiah, 10, which brings that total to 45 surge beds. Does that jive with what you both know and are seeing in the hospital right now? Well, you know, surge capacity is a... Is a it's an elusive concept, frankly. Um, the the ICU beds. See, I'm not sure where we're getting the ten. I think you said ten, but our our functional adult ICU here in Ukiah is eight, um, and I can tell you right at the moment we are completely full. Um, I, I don't know about the other two hospitals, but surge capacity. It's not necessarily the rooms or the oxygen hookups or the number of ventilators we have. The 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 bigger problem is staffing, um, and so when um, you know, we're talking when Adventist is talking about what our surge capacity is. That's relying or presupposing that there's going to be outside help coming in to help staff that because we don't have enough respiratory therapists or nurses or doctors to manage, you know, 45 ICU patients in this county. I don't think. Now, if push came to shove, I'm sure we would step up and there would be, you know, we would just be stretched thin. But boy, I would not want to see us get to that point. Um, and so it's. It's an elastic concept, to be sure. I mean, one of the one of the surge capabilities that we we attempted to establish early on in March, when we thought we were going to be swarmed with COVID patients, but weren't, was that you you, you cancel elective surgery, which is a, a a very big activity of most hospitals, and you know it 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 hurts patients in hospitals not to continue elective surgery, but that is a huge surge capacity because back in March. You know, it not only opens a lot of beds, but it frees staff. It frees surgeons to help, uh, and um, it frees. There's a lot of nurses involved in elective surgery, outpatient surgery, that were trained in March to be on the wards. A lot of these nurses are were some of our best ICU, ED, and ward nurses, and they got retrained. So that is an inherent surge capacity that we often don't think of. That could sure. be um, could be a staffing plus for us, and would give us beds and staff. So that is an inherent one. I know Adventist has a pool in their Northern California region of several hundred nurses and respiratory therapists, and we've, we've made use of those already. So, you know, it's, it, 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 it is elusive, and bed counting is very elusive. You know, Drew, Drew will, who works a lot of night shifts, and by the, you know, for the last many years, most hospitals, most acute care hospitals have cut it pretty close to the bone everywhere uh, because they, you know, medicine is becoming, a, believe it or not, for hospitals, a less lucrative um, proposition. And so they've tried to cut the staffing back, and that's kind of a natural business course that every hospital in the country has participated in. However, for the last many years, bed 
bed availability has been low. I mean, you talk to Drew. When you work a night shift, you come into work. Often there's no beds in the hospital. You have to wait till yeah. the morning. So yeah, and, that, and, that, and that's pre-COVID, frankly. <laughs> you know, that's oh, right. So that's yeah. You do you do a census, but you do a pre-census census at seven in the morning, and it completely changes by noon because they've discharged eight people and they right. transferred some people. So you can't. You know, it's it's a moving target. I think our hospital has done really well so far. I have to say, I I think they've planned. They opened up a COVID unit, which were were empty hospital beds, where the old ICU and the old e and the old ICU and the old step down unit that were being used. They were kind of office spaces. Well, they reconfigured them in twelve patient rooms, and that's the COVID unit. Uh, I know Fort Bragg did the same thing. They developed the COVID unit. So I think our small hospitals have stepped up here, and let's see how it happens. If we get if we get overwhelmed we'll do the best we can but thus far we've been doing pretty well i'd say sounds yeah, like and, and sort of the acute concerns that we had back in the spring about need for you know hundreds of ventilators that certainly has fallen away largely um and so the the likelihood of an acute icu crunch um with you know a bunch of ventilated patients has diminished now sure people go to the icu and do need to be intubated um and ventilated for days and days at time but that's not nearly as common as it looked to be um back in february march and april um and you know as as mark mentioned there's a lot of cross training of nursing um respiratory and everybody else here and you know we we suspended elective surgeries in the spring for quite a while until it became apparent that that was no longer necessary that could happen again if you know if we start to get short um but it's you know it's it's a fraught moment to be sure and i and i think every you know, every doctor and every public health officer in, in the state um as well as every you know healthcare administrator um is nervously watching uh, the hospitalization rate in the Calif- in California um as it just keeps climbing higher and higher and available beds just gets more and more um tenuous Yes, I can say it was unsettling to hear the public health officer report to the Board of Supervisors yesterday using the words mass casualty event uh, and talking about preparing for uh, many deaths in the county. That was extremely difficult to hear and very unsettling. Yeah, and, you know, frankly, it's it's still preventable, folks, right? I mean, we, we really do know what works, um, and... Yeah, you know, it's just a it's just a time. You know, I know the holidays are coming up, and people want to get together, family members. But this is this is the next month where you're going to want to shelter in place, um, follow the five COVID rules that I've talked about ad nauseum, um, and get through this without contracting it, and certainly without spreading it to others unwittingly. Right. No question. All right. So do we want to, we have about a minute left. Do we want to try to take a phone call or do we want to just. I, I feel like we always do take phone calls. I would hate to not take a I single know. call. Uh, Mark's on the, on the phone, so he could maybe give a more wacky answer oh, than know. my general pessimism. For some reason, I thought, I thought this was an hour. I'm sorry. Oh. We were jabbering on. <laughs> no, I know we usually just go for 30 minutes. Let's open up the phone lines, 895-2448. We'll, um, we'll just. If anybody has a question, we can we can try to take one. Okay, we have a caller. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Uh, hi. This is a great show. Uh, informative and interesting. I have a quick question. Uh, I'm getting a feedback. Is that radio off? You sound radio? fine on our end. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I get the radio off, but I'm getting feedback. Anyway, I'll ask a question and get off the air. And it regards the reaction. Um, 
Dr. Colfax said that it's an anaphylactic reaction mostly we get. So the question is, if you get the shot, which I plan to when it's available, um, is it's an immediate reaction, or is it like you go home and four hours later something happens? Yeah, so that that's a really good question, and um, so there are two reactions uh, to be sure. Um, the first and much more common reaction is kind of the diffuse achiness, maybe the localized injection pain that you might experience after a flu shot or a tetanus shot. Um, that's common. Um, it's not particularly unpleasant. It's not dangerous. That's going to be, you know, something that occurs from what we can tell 18 to 36 hours after the vaccine. The booster shot seems to produce a greater reaction. The more dangerous anaphylactic reaction occurs within minutes of getting the shot. Um, and to be sure, that's quite rare. It wasn't even picked up in the clinical trial of, you know, 40 thousand people, but as it's starting to be administered, uh, we, we've seen now three cases uh, in the U.S. and Great Britain combined. Um, probably close to 200,000 people have received the shot so far. So, you know, that's three out of 200,000. Those are pretty low numbers, honestly. Uh, and that's why they're going to observe you for 15 minutes. And frankly, wherever the shot's going to be administered, they're probably going to have an EpiPen, you know, handy just in case it needs to be used. Right, and and just to add to your to that answer, uh, I think that um, you know some people may get a little bit of fever. You know, the apparently there's a little bit less uh, side effects, at least in the initial vaccine with the Pfizer versus the Moderna, but they're both very similar. And one of the questions is, let's say I get I get um, a, you know a reaction after I get a shot. Do I have to? not go to work or if I feel like I can go to work or do I have to isolate myself because maybe I have COVID. The symptoms from the reaction tend to be different. You know, it, you know, COVID can have a lot of different symptoms, but primarily it has, you know, respiratory symptoms, um, you know, loss of, you know, taste and smell and those kind of things. So if you just got a vaccination and within three or, you know, within three or four days, you have these mild symptoms that are consistent with a shot, uh, immunization, you don't have to, I just listened to a California state call yesterday, you do not have to not go to work or isolate yourself if you feel like you, or the symptoms are mild and you can go to work. So uh, that, that was straight from the head of the California Department of Health uh, yesterday in a call. Um, now, if you have horrible cough and shortness of breath, that probably is not a reaction to the, sh to the shot, and maybe that's COVID and you need to uh, act accordingly. Right. And just to be clear, and you know, it's probably obvious to listeners, um, but just to reiterate, this, these vaccines, both of these vaccines, do not contain the virus in any form, attenuated, killed, um, or any form whatsoever. So they, it is impossible for the vaccine to give um, anybody COVID. That is simply not going to happen, uh, which is you know, nice to be that definitive about something, but that, that's quite clear with these two vaccines. Exactly. It's a protein particle. It's a part of a mRNA particle, and it, it, it doesn't get into your DNA. It doesn't, uh, someone was concerned that it's covered with a, a nanolipid, a nanoparticle lipid, but other people are saying, is that the way they're going to program us with nanoparticles? No, it's not. It's just this tiny, love, a tiny uh, you know, covering of a fat molecule so it allows it to get into the cell so it can do its, do its thing. Well, and, 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 just to be, and just to be further clear about, you know, elementary biology, our 
cells are teeming with mRNA. That's how our, that's how our, bell, our cells biology carries messages from the DNA out into the, the uh, mitochondria to create proteins or antibodies or whatever is being encoded in the mRNA. So we have mRNA naturally in our bodies. We just don't have the mRNA that would trigger our body to make the antibodies that would zap this virus, uh, which is what this what these vaccines so cleverly do. And one more, one more final thing, our, our kind of infectious disease uh, consultant, uh, uh, Javed Siddiqui, who's really wonderful, said that for some reason this mRNA um, technology seems to stimulate uh, an antibody response, not only with antibodies, but killer T cells, that is remarkable. And that's the reason why they're even recommending people who have gotten natural COVID infections to get immunized, because yeah. the strong feeling is is that... We don't know how long natural immunity will last, but this virus is such a tricky devil that part of the proteins that it has works to blunt your own immune response. So this, these vaccines don't do that. They have the one that just stimulates the best immune response. So uh, it appears, we'll know more later, it appears that the vaccine will give you better immunity than natural infection. And the killer T cells, I mean, these are really the Jason Bournes of our immune system. These are the ones that go out. They do not make mistakes. Um, they form all these antibodies that take down the, the, path, the, the pathogen. Um, and so it's, it's fantastic that they stimulate um, robust production of specific T cells that uh, trigger the immune response to this virus. That's exactly what you want to see in a vaccine, which is why we're seeing this remarkably high efficacy. All right. Well, it is exciting to hear this. It's really uh, exciting to hear you guys talking about it as uh, something that's imminent, that you have an appointment to get to get the injection. That's just fantastic. And I hope would you take a picture, please, even if you're holding hands or not, just take take a selfie. <laughs> Document I'll take it. that under consideration. OK, thank you. Okay, and, and Dr. Luato, if he won't do it, then 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 you should do it. Anyway, um, I'll, take a, I'll take a picture of him. For okay, sure. Good, yeah. good, good. Okay, so we have been here in the local coronavirus update with Dr. Mark Luato, who's the EMS medical director uh, and ER doc in Ukiah. And as always, Dr. Drew Colfax calling in from the very end of your shift at the hospital. Close to the end, yes, but oh. you know. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing get, it. Get and your charting done, dude. Get your charting done. Come on. <laughs> And thank you both right. for, for calling thank in you, today. Alicia. And, thank um, you, Mark. Thank you. And Drew, Thanks you'll be guys. back here on Monday, right? Yes, Live I should be studio. back there on Monday, um, but we will talk offline and make some plans. Okay, that sounds good. And thanks, everybody, right. for listening. Sorry we didn't have uh, as much time for phone calls, but we'll be back with open lines on Monday at 3 o'clock. And stay tuned now for the TUC Radio, Time of Useful Consciousness Radio, in progress. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.